Dead is a four-letter word. Is that a coincidence or actually a consequence of how bad the average American is? Today, we're going to talk about each age group and how they should handle their money. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. We got it all covered today. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. So I'm actually really excited about this, Brian, because uh, again, one of the things that we try to do is we try to make this show customized for you, for the audience, to make sure it's as valuable as it can be. And one of the things that we've heard from you guys is, man, I love it when you guys walk through the decades. I love it when you talk about uh, net worth through uh, decade or by age, what are some of the financial things you ought to be thinking about? And we said, okay, well, if that's something that you guys like, that you find value in, let's talk about something that gets a lot of airtime, but doesn't always get the money guy airtime. And so we said, let's talk about what we think debt should look like at each age and stage of life. I, I want to tell you guys, this isn't in the show notes, but it's something that I've noticed from a career of doing financial planning and helping successful people manage their money, is that if the typical client of a financial planner, a high net worth individual, we actually deal with a lot less debt issues than you'd imagine because I have found that people who are good with money and successful typically don't have a lot of debt issues. So if you're one of these people, if you are, if your boat is leaking because of all the debt and the cash flow and the monthly payments, this is something you've got to get under control as soon as possible so you can get on that path of being one of those successful people and those behaviors that I talk about that sure. we work with with clients. Because it is troubling if you see so much of America is struggling with debt. And then you find out that a lot of successful people all through their lives didn't have those struggles because mm -hmm. they were very disciplined, very responsible you really, it's kind of a wake-up call, and that's what I want this to be. Because I don't think debt is inherently bad. I just think it's a tool that most of us don't respect. I mean, there's two things. My dad always, um, he used to ride motorcycles until he had children, and then he sure. quit. And he and I, I, you know, I was always fascinated about that. And I asked dad, you know, tell me about why you quit riding motorcycles. And right. he said, look, anybody who rides motorcycles, if you're not scared, you're not doing it right. And it's the same thing with knives. You know, knives okay, can yeah. be tremendously valuable tools, but if you're not handling it carefully and not respecting the sharpness of the blade, you can get in a lot of danger really quickly. So that's something that's interesting that you say that, Brian, because you know, a lot of times when, uh, when a brand new client comes and works with us, one of the things we always want to start with when they start talking to us and they ask about like investments, and we always want to kind of lay out our investment philosophy. Hey, this is how we think about investing. This is how we think about looking at money. I think it's important, and you kind of alluded to it there, our philosophy on debt is maybe a little bit different than some other voices out there in the financial world on debt. You know, yeah. I think that well, we have- Well, both ways. I yeah. Because there's some guys that want you to carry debt your entire life because they think that the exponential compounding interest growth of your investments way, you know, outweighs the cost, the carry costs of That's the right. interest. But then you've got others, including one of our, our neighbors that we we think a lot of, um, who's get out of debt as soon as possible. Sure. So where's the balance yep. in that? And my, my thought is debt is one of those useful tools that you should be scared of. But I think here in America, unfortunately, we've commoditized 
something that should be cautious, meaning mm -hmm. it should be kept behind glass, only used for very special circumstances sure. and very special things that are hopefully beneficial to long-term growth, because um, that's where leverage can be healthy. That's right. But we've somehow in America- We've bastardized turned, it a little we, bit. We have, we've turned it into a negative thing where it, even our children are exposed mm -hmm. to it and, and we have turned something that should be handled with caution um, into something that's just part of everyday's life. That's and right. we think that's normal. That's and, that, right. and that's a desensitizing to the strength and the concern that you should have about death that I do not think is healthy. Um, and, and I have some stats. By the way, I did a little research. There was an article by CNBC that if you want proof, only 23% of Americans have no debt. So that means the lion's share, 77% of the people carry have debt. Have some sort of debt. Carry some type of debt. 20% of Americans spend 50 to 100% of their monthly income on debt repayment. Now, that one, I got to be honest, was a little shocking to me. I, I can get that, okay, 77% of folks have some sort of debt. But hearing that, that one out of five people, because that's 20%, one out of five. 50 to 100% of their incoming money. Half, half to all of their money goes to debt service. When debt, really, if you look at all debt service, I think conservatively, you shouldn't have let it exceed 35%. Mm -hmm. And that's even, to me, that's even too high. Sure. But I mean, when you compare that to somebody who's 50 to 100%, that's not living your best life. Sure. And, that, and that, if you want to know what causes divorce, what causes midlife crisis, what causes stress, mm -hmm. get a lifestyle where 50 to 100% of your monthly cash flow is going to service debt. It is a recipe for disaster. And then the last thing, I thought this was interesting from the CNBC article before we kind of jumped into these different age groups. You ask, where, where is this money coming from? I mean, where is the spending? Because Where's it we, going to, right? We hear the average personal debt is $38,000 for, for Americans. 38000 That's not including mortgages. So that's just personal debt. That's credit cards, auto loans. And then like student loans. And didn't we say like a few weeks ago, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average income, uh, and I, th I think this was the average income, was somewhere around like $40,000. Isn't that yeah, right? The average could, income in the country? We can do a quick search, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's lower than you'd anticipate. And so think about what that means. If the average American has $38,000 in debt and the average income is 40000 that means the average person has like an entire year of their earnings mm -hmm. in debt. It's, it's, it's scary. And that's what I, the last stat I had on this was, um, according to this study, 15% of that debt is coming from dining and nightlife, 13% is coming from clothing and personal care, and then 13% is personal passions and hobbies. We basically have nothing to show for a lot of this debt that's building up in the United States. So we obviously have a very dysfunctional relationship with this monster we like to call debt. Yep. Um, so Let's kind of talk about how do we handle this when you're younger, when you're in your 20s, when you're in your 30s, your 40s, because each one of these periods of your life, you're going to have different things that are occurring. You think about when you're in your 20s, you're probably thinking student loans and, mm -hmm. you know, because you're trying to, you're getting out there, you might be have a, a credit card debt or your first auto loan. You get into your 30s, you might even add a mortgage. Yep. So we're going to kind of cover all those things. And I want to even give you some rules of how you proceed so that you come out of this thing better for it. Perfect. So let's kind of jump in. Let's first talk about the 20s. Bo? Unfortunately, nobody at this table is still in their 20s. That is correct. So, but here's the good thing. Even though we're nobody at this table is in their 20s, 
that age has given us what we like to call wisdom, right? From experience. I appreciate so that. So we can hopefully fast forward and think about our, or look back, not fast forward, but look back and think about our 20s, because mm-hmm. this is not Benjamin Button, so you can't <laughs> fast forward to get younger. Yeah, it's, it's, but you think about this is how does this work? And I always tell for 20 year olds, why remove the rocket fuel from your financial boosters with debt? Mm-hmm. And that's really, and I don't use the word rocket fuel with, I don't mean it as a joke. Mm-hmm. I don't mean it as to, it's to quite, it's actually quite literal. And it, because here's the thing, I want you to hear me. If, if anything else, if you have a family member or you're, you're, you yourself are in your twenties, I want you to know this because this is what changed my life when I heard this, when I was like 17, 18 years old, close to 20 years of age, anybody out there in your twenties can be wealthy. You don't have to come for money. Don't, don't listen to what the news media tells you. I'm going to give you the stats. Anybody under 30 years of age, all you have to do is just let your money work for you and you can be successful. Yep. If you don't believe me, you know, a simple thing that most people want is to be a millionaire. Yep. If you're a 20-year-old and you plan on saving into the traditional 65 years of age, you only have to save $95 a month assuming what the S&P 500 has been making yep. you know, since the 50s, yep. which is around 10%. If you're a 25-year-old, you only need to be saving about $158 a month. So when I hear that stat, because I've used that a bunch when we talk about 88 times over, here's what I want people to know. I said a million dollars, right? That's mm-hmm. what it's going to be worth at retirement at right. 65. That 20-year-old, their entire investment is $51,000. So where does the other $949,000 come from? It's from the eighth one of the world, compounding interest. It is compounding interest. You contribute five, your money is going to work so hard for you. Your army of dollar bills is going to contribute the other 95% of the growth for the 20-year-old. For the 25-year-old, they're basically contributing close to $76,000. So you can do the math on that. And you can see very quickly that $920,000 is going to come from your army of dollar bills. So guys, your money, you might not have a lot. I get it. When you're Mm -hmm. in your 20s, you're like, Brian, I have to have debt because I just need to live. And I don't have any money to save. I'll do that when I'm in my 40s. I'll do that in my 50s because I'll hopefully have enough income. You've blown it because this is the opportunity to let your money be 88 times over, meaning every dollar can turn into $88. Yeah, and I think that's so powerful. And it's such a common misnomer out there. Somebody thinks about, okay, well, if I have a a dollar that I put on a credit card, right? And let's say I have 15% interest and I'm paying on that. I'm only paying 15 cents. That dollar only costs me 15 cents. We would say that that's actually really bad math. That $1 is actually costing your future self $88. That's a lot more punitive than a 15% interest rate. So a lot of you are like, this is supposed to be a debt show. Why are you talking about the growth of my money? We want to show you that, that rocket fuel Now let's kind of pivot and talk about where do debt loads need to be and what are the debts that are impacting people in their 20s. The first one, the largest portion of your debt is going to be student loan debt. No, It's not not a huge surprise that 20-year-olds or people in their 20s, that's the biggest one that they face. Um, 28% of debt load for 18 to 24-year-olds is student loan debt. Um, The average for a millennial household is around 14,800. You know, truthfully, when I saw that number, it didn't freak me out. Well, because you think about most university costs probably 
most universities probably cost more than 15 grand a year, around yeah. 15 grand a year. So it doesn't seem crazy that, you know, one year of university costs and debt. Now you millennials are getting older. So that, that stat might also have some 30 something year olds True. that are getting close to being out of debt. No, <laughs> no offense to you millennials. You're, you're like, I'm a Gen Xer. So I know what it feels like to be the not newest kid in town anymore on, on getting older. But I do think it's interesting because a lot of people, I, I can imagine students, you know, in that 18 to 23 age range, you, you, it's so easy to go get student loan debt and you have nobody, you know, no uncle mm -hmm. or, or parent that's telling you, giving you guidance on this stuff. You're like, well, how much student loan debt is okay? Because I know that it's okay to use debt for good things like houses, which are hopefully appreciating yep. and for student loans, because I'm investing, investing in myself, myself yeah. and, you know, this is going to allow me to make more money, but how much debt is okay? And it, this goes into so many decisions when you're choosing your college. Should you go public school? Should you go private school? What major should you take? Here's the guidance that's going to keep you out of trouble. You should not let your student loan debt exceed what you think that first year anticipated income is going to be. So, so if you go out there and you think that right out of college, your first year of employment is going to pay $40,000 a year, you probably shouldn't have $140,000 of student loan debt. That's a mismatch. You want to make sure that you keep it below that first year's annual salary. And, and I would also, if you're going to choose a career path that's not going, that's going to pay $40,000 or $50,000, pay attention to where you go to school mm -hmm. too, because some of these I'm, I'm always amazed when we do college planning analysis and people show me these private schools that they're going to go to for yep. college. And I say, well, what's the earning potential of the career that you're seeking? I'm like, I don't know if that justifies the cost. So, yeah. so pay attention because it's those type of decisions that go into running that debt up. Yep. So pay attention to that. And so what I'm hearing you say is uh, before you even decide to take on student debt or before you encourage your kids to take on student debt, you kind of have to begin with the end in mind. For sure. It requires some vision planning to know what you expect out of your college experience and then also how to structure that financially if you're going to use something like student loan debt. Love it. And then, Bo, you brought up, and I'll let you kind of close it out before we move on to the next thing, was you said not all debt is created equal. What did you mean? Yeah, one thing you need to be aware of is when you go out there and get student loan debt, I mean, obviously there are different kinds of loans. You know, there are subsidized loans, non-subsidized loans, parent loans, student loans. But what I'm actually talking about is some types of debt, and I'll use my wife as a, as a specific example. When she graduated, she had some student loan debt, and she was a school teacher. She wanted to go be a middle uh, middle middle school, school teacher. Uh, well, her program, one of the loans that her university offered said, hey, if you go teach either math or science, we'll forgive up to X amount of that student loan debt. So there's actually a mechanism where some loans are forgivable depending on the vocation you choose. The public service uh, debt forgiveness. Yep. So program. that's another example, public service debt forgiveness. There's all kinds of amazing Google research you can go do on that, where if you work in a certain sector for a certain type of entity, you could even potentially have some of your student loan debt uh, disqualified. I know there's been a lot of um, stuff in the media about a lot of people didn't qualify for that public sector um, service mm -hmm. for debt forgiveness. I would go, was it White Coat Investor does yeah, a lot of right. research. And yep. So if you're one, because there's some some of you doctors out there that have done your residences, resident work at um, a public university hospital, you might have some opportunities. So go check into that. We'll, we'll move on because that's a whole nother topic, but we like to throw those little tidbits out there for you. Yep. Um, let's talk about credit cards. The student loans we were kind on, I feel like we can be less kind on this one. No, for sure. This is where, and by the end of this, y'all are going to be like, because, you know, I, I allude to him, but Dave Ramsey is spot on if you, on credit card debt, 
if you are not a disciplined individual. And unfortunately, the lion's share of Americans are not disciplined with their credit card debt. So um, when people ask me my opinion, like on Dave's advice on not using credit cards at all, I, I, I got to tell you, the, 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 the results of behavior of the average American shows he's probably closer to right than, than those of us who talk about discipline use right. because the average person does just has no willpower. Sense of discipline, yeah. And I, and I want to talk about that because I know when I was in my 20s, um, I was always scared of debt because mm-hmm. my parents had me thinking that you signed up for debt and then back hair was going to start growing or something <laughs> bad was going to happen to you. Um, it was one of those things that really, it was irrational. And I remember being in college at UGA, at University of Georgia. And Go I dogs. kid you not, I think that, you know, I think they have changed the rules specifically because of these behaviors. Mm-hmm. I would see a line of kids signing up for credit cards for a bag of 79 cent Lay's potato chips. Oh, yeah, or a free t-shirt. Or a free t-shirt. Yep. And I, I even remember then having zero to my name, not even having a credit card or understanding is that's a failure. That's yep. probably not. And I knew so many friends that ran up two to $3,000 of credit card debt off of lifestyle. Sure. And then they'd have to go work some bad job, beg a relative or do something to get out of debt. That was just the story that you went on. It, the thing I would tell you is that among millennial people that are 25 to 34 years of age, Credit card balances are their leading source of debt. And I think even the number is, what, 25% of their total debt load are on credit card balances. And, and by the way, I don't know if you recognize this, credit cards don't often have the most advantageous terms where you're paying like 3 4 5% interest if you're carrying a balance. It's usually something a little more aggressive than that. I don't think you should ever have what is called credit card debt. Debt. Debt implies to me that you have a balance. Yep. You can have credit card use, but you should never have credit card debt. I think that is well said. And I think it's a little bit different than some other popular opinion out there. I mean, if you are not paying your credit card statement off monthly, you're doing it wrong. I'm I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it's one of those things we've, we've talked about that you're really all... You're all hat, no cattle. Yeah, I that's mean, I've exactly used right. that in previous shows. And then also, I don't like people who fake lifestyle and consumption just because they know that good things are coming, so they go ahead and try to accelerate those things for their benefit way ahead of schedule. That's right. You know, one of the things, uh, obviously, we record this show live, so if you're out there listening to this not live, we have a live chat going on. And someone actually said this in the live chat, and Brian, we had it in the notes. Anytime you go and secure debt, all you're really doing is borrowing from your future self. You are accelerating no consumption from the future into today. And this is what's so sad about Taking that. Taking that rocket fuel. You're, you're borrowing from your wealthier future self and making that person less wealthy. Yeah. You hear about economic outpatient care. That's where you have adult children who come back to, to really pull off of your finances. You're doing the same thing with your army of dollar bills when you use credit card debt right. at a young age. And, and the thing I always think about is that we just did a show on funny words that impact your yep. finances. And one of them was the hedonic treadmill. That's right. And this is what we learned about thinking about that is that the way the human brain processes fulfillment and happiness with money is that you should slowly increase your lifestyle so that you enjoy all steps of the ride. Right. Um, because the research shows that if you go from a 15-year-old 
let's just say I had a raggedy Cavalier okay. Chevy car, you yeah. know, that was like, I mean, it really was like 15, 16 years old. Um, if I would have gone from that car when I graduated college to, let's just say like a Mercedes, a Cadillac, sure. premium, premium brand. brand, I would have felt great. It would have been one of those moments where happiness would have been awesome about getting it. But the research shows Brian going from that car to a Mazda probably wouldn't have been any different. Yeah. I skipped a bunch of steps along the, the, the treadmill, yep. but my happiness factor would have settled in because here's the thing, guys. Coming from a guy who's who reached a level in my career, you, the human condition, has an incredible ability to absorb and consider it normal whatever you're doing in That's life. Right. You have a beautiful big house. Six months into it, it'll just seem like just your house. Just seem a house, yep. I mean, it's, it. so be careful of that. The way to really create fulfillment is to move up that lifestyle very slowly, and then you'll, tr- truthfully, you'll have more money to save and invest right. in yourself, which is going to be helpful. So you said, I mean, you said it perfectly, Brian. You said this to start with. Our advice on how you should handle credit card debt in your 20s, and I don't want to do too much of a spoiler alert. This is the same for 30s, 40s, 50s, and so on, is you should pay them off every month. You should not carry a balance on credit cards. It's just really not super justifiable to credit do Credit card debt should not exist in your life. Like That's I right. said, credit card use is okay because that's assuming that you're paying it off every month. If you find out that you can't do it, you know, and you're 25 years old and you're not paying that credit card, you really might need to go check into some of Dave Dave Ramsey's yep. books. Um, you know, and and his lifestyle is you just don't use credit cards. Right. I'm at least giving you the option if you're responsible because I think there's people that can do it. But it, based upon the research, it's a smaller number than I, than unfortunately we'd all like to admit. So one of the things we want to do, and one of the things that you guys have told us that you like when we do these by the decade shows is. All right, give us a litmus test. How do we know? Where's the average? Where should we be? Uh, well, where should you be is you should be at uh, zero debt, right? I mean, that's kind of the dream that we all live for. Uh, but <laughs> realistically, in your 20s, we thought it'd be helpful to share what the average debt load of someone in their this 20s This doesn't is. mean where you are. We want you to be less than this, but this is the average. Uh, so what we found is that the average debt load for someone from age 18 to 24 is $22,000. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the numbers is we- This is personal debt. Remember, does not include mortgages. That's exactly right. We purposefully excluded mortgages because we recognize uh, if you're listening to this in uh, San Francisco, San Francisco Bay Area, the cost of living, cost of home ownership, cost of residence is very different than if you're listening to it in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Is Sheboygan in Wisconsin? I mean, I was just going to say, like somewhere, like we have, I have relatives in, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, yep. and places like that. And, you know, so if we told you the average mortgage was like 135000 and you're out in San Francisco, you'd be like, get out of here. That's right. I mean, so it's it's not even worth in, including that data. So what we're talking about is non, uh, non-mortgage personal debt. So credit cards, student loans, auto loans. So the average from age 20, 18 to 24, so that's, this is the early 20s, is $22,000. Average from age 25 uh, to 34 is $42,000. That's a good point. So let's move on to the 30s. Now, here's the thing about the 30s. You start hitting some traction in your financial life. So if you're having positive things happening in your financial life, why would you hit the self-destruct button by getting too much debt? And we see this. I I hate it when people start getting success. And then they totally derail themselves. They might have done everything right in the 20s, 
But then all of a sudden they just like, you know what? I owe this to That's myself. Right. And, and I'm looking at you doctors hard because I get it. You guys all through your 20s, you're in school. You're not making any money. You're studying all the time. All your buddies graduated from the business school That's at right. 23. And you're like, you know what? When I get out of school, I deserve to have it's my that fancy car. It's, yep. it's time. But that might not be what's going on. Yes, because you're having some success. Yes, you're probably at the point you have a family, potentially, mm-hmm. starting to growing a family. You're also at that point where you're thinking, I need a house. That's right. You know, this is the point where you probably are, because of your income and where you are and your age, that the banks aren't going to laugh at you when you try to go get a mortgage. So how do we make sure that you're not blowing this all up? And I, I think statistically, Brian, we, you actually showed me this chart. And I, you know, we should have we used this chart. But it talks about, when we, we talk about uh, what your income does over the trajectory of a career versus what your expenses do over the trajectory of a career, what we found is the decade of the 30s is actually the largest mismatch. It's the hardest time to match those two. Let's, let's, let's pull it up. I mean, I have no problem sharing this data. I mean, this is your debt over a, a, a lifetime, essentially. And you notice this is the research of what the average debt is per age. And it's exactly what Bo said. You know, when you're in your 30s, you can see, especially your mid-30s, You've bought the farm. I mean, literally, you can see this is where you're getting into some peak. That period between 35 to 45 is peak debt time. And that makes sense because you're probably buying houses and other things. But as you see, over the career, you're hoping that your debt load decreases as you get older. So that, that is the plan. And that's what we consider success is if you can, you know, make that debt go away over time. And it's going to set you up for much better success. So let's kind of talk about these debt levels and the different holes that you have to avoid. And the first one is credit card debt. Now, credit card debt, once again, for 25 to 34 year olds, so this is getting to the younger side of the 30s, their leading debt is still the credit card, which is surprising because as I mentioned in the 20s, and I'm saying this for the benefit of the highlight videos too, is that you should never, absolutely never have credit card debt. You can have credit card use, but debt implies that you're actually using and carrying a balance. That's, That's not good. You got to pay these things off on a month to month basis because if you don't pay your credit card debt off monthly, that whole thing about compounding interest is not working for you. It's it working for Mr. Visa and Mrs. MasterCard. That's right. It really is. I mean, when they're paying double digit. You know, I talk about all the time, 88 times over. And I use an assumption that's a pretty aggressive assumption because I use the S&P 500. I use for 20-year-olds, I use like 10%. Right. And people will write and say, that's a really aggressive assumption. I'm like, well, what about the credit card company that's giving you an average credit card rate of over 15%? Yeah. No, that's, that is a really aggressive yeah, number. Right. So don't be on the negative side of that. I think paying off, you need to look at credit card debt as a binary decision. Mm-hmm. Remember, binary means, if you think about computers and what they're doing, they're basically turning circuits on and off. You have right. zero and then you have one. Zero with credit cards means you can't pay it off, so you need to have a zero balance. Yep. One means that you're responsible, you pay it off every month, you can responsibly 
very conservatively and cautiously use credit card debt. Now, you know, in my opinion, I think the 30s is probably when keeping up with the Joneses oh, yeah. first starts to happen and maybe is where it first gets the most aggressive. And unfortunately, one of the easiest ways to keep up with the Joneses is to go finance your life, yeah. is to buy the car, or put the You can furniture. afford anything for $400 a month. That's exactly like. right. That's you exactly right. You can get a boat, right. you can get a jet ski, you can get a car, you can get a trailer, you can get an RV. It's all for 400, because all they have to do is keep pushing that amortization out six, seven years. You can afford anything for $400. Problem is those $400 keep stacking up. Yeah. So binarily, if you can't control your behavior there, it might make sense for you not to use credit cards at all in your, yeah. in your 30s. So let's talk about mortgages. This is a big one. Now, you know, it does have some positive connotations. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want to give some stats here. And Bo, you asked me to clarify this yep. when you were looking at the show notes. From people looking outside in, meaning that people who do not own a house, if you asked them, is owning a house part of the American dream? 75% of people who don't even own a house will say, yeah. That's yeah, part well, of the American dream. House. Yeah. And then here's what's something that's kind of affirming of this dream of American homeownership. 90% 90, 90 of people who do own houses confirm that they yeah, think that it's, it's part, of it. part of the American dream. So obviously a house is going to be a big part of you feeling like you're living your best life and, right. and growing this thing. But that leads to, to mortgage debt because most people can't pay for a house at 100%. You know, So a healthy thing is, is to hopefully put down you know, 20%. But how do we make sure this American dream doesn't turn into a complete nightmare? Because here's what I think is really interesting, Brian. You know, we have an audience that's pretty diverse. You know, sure. they're all over the world. Uh, they're also range from uh, some of those that are a little longer in the tooth to even some that are possibly so short in the tooth, they might not have actually been in the working world a decade ago. Yeah. They might not have actually seen how dangerous a mortgage crisis can actually be. They might not have actually lived through that. And it's funny how quickly we forget our own history. Because yeah. if you remember back post 2008, 2009, 2010, it was really hard to go get financing. It was really hard to go get a loan. It, I mean, it was really easy immediately before that, but right after is really hard. Have you noticed it's starting to get a little bit easier again? Oh, for it's sure. a little bit easier to go out there and get financing, get qualified for maybe bigger mortgages than you thought you might've been able to get qualified for. So, and I think because it is getting easier, it's not as easy as it was in 2006 and seven, right. but it's definitely getting easier. Some, some laxed, more laxed lending standards mm -hmm. are kind of kicking in with the banks as they feel more confident so people are probably saying, well, how do I handle this? I mean, and, and I always tell people the best way to be successful with mortgage debt is to set up some boundaries. Mm -hmm. You've got to have boundaries and, and be disciplined with how much you're spending on housing. And I go with a number because you see people all the time. There's a um, there's that stat that you're not supposed to let mortgages be greater than 28, 28 percent right. of your gross income. I disagree with that. I'd actually prefer for you to be more conservative because I don't want you to be house rich, life poor. Because there's a lot of people that will go get this beautiful house, not be able to afford to put furniture in it, not be able to afford to take your, your family out to eat, not to be able to afford to take your family on vacations because all you can afford to pay is this it's big mortgage. mortgage. So to, to avoid that, we found putting up these guardrails or, or boundaries will really protect you. And that So we use a stat of 25% of your gross income, but here's what, I, I, this is pretty much all-inclusive house ownership mm -hmm. because I want you to include your mortgage, your taxes, your insurance, 
as well as your utilities. Yep. I think a lot of people would probably say, well, my utilities are part of my my annual right. household expenses. Yeah, that's true. But let's go ahead and put it in that 25% figure to keep yourself honest and also to set up those very safe boundaries so you don't get ahead of yourself. Yep. Um, here's something. This is a pivot. I think a lot of people, and this is because I've given a lot of praise to our neighbor on paying off your credit cards. Yep. There is one little thing that I want to talk to you guys about that that gives me pause when people tell you to pay off all your debt in your in your 30s is that you guys heard me talk about exponential growth mm -hmm. what does it take for your money to grow um it, it, it concerns me when i hear 30 year olds paying off debt way too soon when they're not saving 15 to 20 percent of sure. their money towards long-term financial independence. And, and I feel like we see this a lot uh, inside of the FIRE movement, the financial independent retire early movement. Just want to get all debt paid off. They want to get all the debt paid off as early as possible. So here's the teachable moment. I thought about, I was always trying to come up with analogies or examples of things you ought to think about for yourself to make get your, your headspace right. Would you have rather, if it's, let's just say Apple or Google came to you with two options. They said, um, Brian, Bo, we're going to give you an IPO option on us. Would you have rather, now you realize you have the knowledge to know Apple and Google turned out pretty good in the long out. term. All right. So would you rather look back and say, I'd rather have IPO shares, meaning I bought into the equity of Apple or Google, or would you have rather lent, because they needed money in the, right. the beginning stages, would you rather lend money to Apple or Google and pay them 4.5 and get paid 4.5%? So would I rather be an owner in the equity of the company or would I rather guarantee myself just a 4% debt repayment? Instead, even easier, would you like to have the exponential upside growth of Apple and Google looking back on how well they've done historically or would you rather get a very conservative 4.5%? That, that, and I know that sounds like an extreme example, but what I just explained is you. Because what is your mortgage company typically charging on mortgages right now. It's around four to four, four and a half four and percent. A half, yep. So that's what you're paying for the capital. Meanwhile, a 30 year old who wants to be a millionaire and only needs to make around 9% a year, I brought it down, needs to save about $340 a month. Which is seems very reasonable. That's, that's only a 14% contribution towards the million dollars, meaning that over a lifetime, they will have invested $143,000, but it turns into a million dollars. So you can quickly see there's exponential growth there. I mean, 86% of your million dollars is coming from that explosive growth of compounding interest, or you could just get 4.5%, because that's what happens when you put your money, you pay down that mortgage so soon, that money gets locked into, your army of dollar bills gets locked into and platooned inside your house equity. Yeah, all you're doing is guaranteeing yourself that next $1 times your mortgage interest rate. And, and actually, it's even a little bit less than that because there's a tax incentive, right? Yeah. So you're, it's, the rate of return is actually even a little bit lower if you want to get super nerdy about it. And look, a lot of you guys are like, wait a minute. So he's one of these guys that wants me to use a lot of leverage and mortgage debt. No, that's why we put the 25% boundary in there. And then you guys who are going to come back and go, listen, I encourage my 30-year-olds, go listen to our show on 40s. Stay with us on the 50s. And you're going to see, we actually want you to be debt-free by the time you reach financial independence. I just don't want you to be 
like the fifth beetle where you, you know, are making such a bad decision where it feels so good in the short term to be paying down this debt, but you fast forward 20, 30 years in the future and you look back at yourself and go, why did I do that? I could have, I could have averaged eight or 9% a year. Instead, I, I locked in That's right. that I paid down debt that was at historic lows. Now, if you're someone, uh, and we didn't talk about this, so I'm going to go off the beaten path here. Uh, if you're someone who just has no self-control, which you're probably not because you're listening to the Money Guy show, so you probably have some pretty good instincts. If your two options are go out and spend the money or prepay the debt, well, then go ahead. Yeah, get yourself out of debt. But if you have the wherewithal to actually let that rocket fuel burn hot, let that money go to work for you. Put that money to pay yourself first. Create that cash management plan where 15 to 25% of your money is going to work for you. So that, that's... A no-brainer in yep. my eyes, especially in your 20s and 30s. So let's talk about auto loans, because this is going to be another one where lifestyle creep is going to just, you get into your 30s, you start making a few bucks, and you're like, I am owed this car. And then I'm not even, let's take out the ego. Let's just go ahead and push the pride mm -hmm. and ego aside. There's a few of you that might have a growing family. Yep. And you're like, look, I've got kids now. I, I need them to be in something safe. That's right. I need to make it where when we go visit relatives, I can actually load that bouncer. I can load that stroller. And I so I might need something bigger. You know, the the, the old Volkswagen Golf or, or, or you know, is not, it's just not gonna get it, it done. anymore. I'm gonna need an SUV. We all hit those points. And that's healthy that life has progressed. So how do you do it in a good way so that you don't turn this into a bad decision? Right. And, and here's the thing, Bo, just setting this up. We have a, a whole office full of financially minded people. That's right. It, what's funny is we even have administrators who are CPAs. Yep. I mean, because we, we have brought back people who stayed at home with their family and then they came back. So brilliant minds that, here at Abound Wealth. That's right. At Abound Wealth, we have CPA admins. Just, just, just think about that for a second. I mean, we're, we're working on changing that though. <laughs> but but, it, but I, I just want to talk to you that we have some very healthy discussions here in the yep. office. And this one, it was a big one because here's my advice to you guys is that I think long and hard about what I tell you. I think about, could I walk the walk that I'm giving you advice on? Because I think it is so many financial people out there, we'll say guru, we'll use the rabbit ears, where they give you hard and fast advice, but I'm like, do they really follow that advice? Is yeah. that is that practical? Right. Is that tied? Is that is that is that tied to reality, or is that just something that sounds good right. and, and, and you know it makes a great little bold face thing? Nice little sound Twitter. Yeah. So I, we we had so much discussion on what is a healthy way to handle car debt because we realized that you guys in your thirties that have a growing family, it might, it's, I'm taking the pride in those things. You just want a basic, good transportation that's safe. You might be in that situation, but don't have enough cash to pay for a car completely. That's right. So what do you do? I mean, what what do we do? And the first thing I tell you, everything I, I'm about to talk about is a non-premium brand. Okay. So don't hear me and think, well, that must apply to Mercedes, Mercedes BMW, right. Tesla, Audi. No, Lexus, I don't consider, no. You can't use what I'm about to tell you for any premium brand. This is just me trying to give you guidance is like your favorite financial uncle that's going to keep you out of the ditches and out of trouble, but also recognizes that you got to do this for the family. Old uncle money guy. So we came up with the 20 slash 3 slash 8 rules. 23-8. This 23-8 is your, is your friend. And, and this is, let me, let me walk you through each of these. We think when you're making an auto decision for a 
non-premium brand, you need to put down at least 20%. Okay. That one probably doesn't raise too many eyebrows. Yeah, so if you're thinking about a new-ish SUV or a new-ish uh, minivan, maybe you said growing family, mm -hmm. you're probably talking about something from like $35,000, right? In that, <sighs> in that room. That breaks my heart just hearing that. So I that's, mean, that's kind of that's like seven to eight grand. Yeah, that's right. On, on that much money. And you couldn't go cheaper than that, by the way. You could do close to, let's say 30. So mm -hmm. you could talk on a $30,000 car, you're talking about 6,000 bucks. Right. So that one I don't think raises eyebrows because people are like, yeah, I want to have some equity. So I'm going to put down 20%. This next one is going to be the one that raises the eyebrows, and I'm doing it on purpose. That three and that 23.8 number is I want you to look at what you think you can afford and I want you to amortize it by on a three-year basis, a 36-month basis. So if you're going to borrow money to pay for this car, you need to plan on having it paid off inside of 36 now months. Now look, I, I, let me, I'm willing to say, because a lot of times these auto companies will give you 48 months, 60 months, and they'll give you a great premium, you know, low interest rate. I'm not saying you have to pay it off in 36 months, but I at least want you to run a 36-month amortization. With that being the goal, you can go do the 48-month financing to give yourself some flexibility, but I'm hoping as you get bonuses, as you get you know, some extra money that comes in at parts of the year that you are going to try to get out of this debt within 36 months. Years. I mean, that is, that's why I know that's going to raise some eyebrows, but I think that's going to keep you from a shock and awe moment of looking at a 36 month amortization is gonna keep you from going and buying too much car. All right, so 20% uh, down is how much you put down on it. Uh, and then we're gonna do it over three years, but there's another number, what's the eight? The eight is, is that your car payments should not exceed 8% of your gross income. So I take whatever I make on a monthly basis, I multiply that times 0.08, and my automobile expense should not cross over that amount. Now, and it's, you said it right. It's not your loan. It's the actual automobile expense, which includes the principal and interest from the loan, mm -hmm. but also your auto insurance. Yep. And for you guys, that this will also keep you honest from buying a sports car or other things because it's going to directly dip into that right. pot of how much you could finance if you're, you know, your insurance rates are pretty high. So, okay, so again, so let's do our little, our little spot check litmus test. So we already said that for older millennials, that's ages 25 to 34, the average debt load, non-mortgage, is 42,000. For Gen Xers, so this is from age 35 out to 49, average debt load is actually 39,000 of personal what, debt. What I liked about that, you saw the numbers start going did, down. It did start it coming down. It goes back to that chart where we showed you it's a narrative of life, sure. it's understandable, that when you're in your 30s, you're probably taking down that mortgage, you mm -hmm. still got some student loan debt. That stuff is gonna start mitigating and going down though as That's you right. hit some age and get it underneath you. So let's pivot, let's talk about what I resemble. Ooh. That wounded warrior phase of the 40s. Why do I say wounded warrior phase? And is because you realize when you get to be my age, you get sentimental about things, but you also realize you're probably not conquering the world like you thought you would at your 20s and 30s. Okay. So it goes hand in hand with the being sentimental, but it also, I think, gives you some superpowers and the fact that you can be realistic on where you are in your life. It's that moment of truth. Um, you're now at the point where you can look at your actions of the past. If you started saving in your 20s, if you started saving in your early 30s, it's probably a moment of celebration. You're probably thinking, hey, 
It's I can, worked. I can take my foot off the accelerator a little bit because I made a lot of sacrifices when I was in my 20s and 30s. For you guys that you've kind of, you had a good time in your 20s, you had a good time in your 30s, but you've woken up and you're like, wow, I lived longer than I thought I would and I'm here. You have to actually hit the accelerator because now you're on the opposite side of deferred gratification where you're realizing that you're probably 20 to 25 years from retirement. Mm -hmm. So man, oh man, do we need to make up some time. Gotta get busy. And let me give you some some case in points. There's actually a research piece we read a lot of stuff, but we have to be really nerdy to stay ahead of the Money Guy family. And there was a research piece that said for two people to end up in the same retirement at 65, the, 20, the person who just starts saving at 45 years of age has to save 27% of their gross income. Now, if you remember, if you've listened to Money Guy for any amount of time at all, we always tell people your goal for saving should be 15 to 20%, but really we like that 20% number. If you put it off and wait until 45, you can't do 20% anymore. You got to go all the way up to 27%. Meanwhile, your friend who started saving at 25 years of age, they only have to ha- save 10% of their income to have the exact same retirement. That's how the stats work on compounding interest and starting early. So now all of you guys that are in your 40s and you're a little nervous, I want you to use this as your motivation to say, this is, I'm no longer on a marathon towards retirement because when you're on a marathon, you can choose a nice pace, you know, because you have a long time ahead of you. So you you, you go at a, a, at a pace that you just feel comfortable. You're past that point, my 40-year-olds. If you are behind, you're on a full-on sprint now. We've got 20 years to get you healthy, so you got to run wide open. We're talking about hit this thing hard and get excited about it. I just got a visual of Brian Press in his 40s in a dead-on sprint. The only problem with that, I, I could do it. I'd probably pull something in this in this. In <laughs> and this just stretch right for like an hour. And I had visions of us playing church softball that <laughs> yeah, time, and yeah. I remember the one time I hit a ball really good, and I had to go around first, and I was head to second. I felt like I was hitting it, instead of pulling that, hitting the clutch, and hitting that gear. All of a sudden, something gave in my leg, and I was like, I don't know that I got that gear. So it's just so I'm glad you get a visual, but it's um it's one of those things. So let's kind of talk about these debts. For all of our, hopefully, for those that are still taking the the, the marathon pace mm-hmm. and those that are hitting the accelerator because they got to do some catch yep. up and they're sprinting, let's talk about the number one source of debt for these forty year olds. That's mortgages. Yep. Um, I still stand by, and I talked about this for my thirty year olds. It's the same for our forty year olds. You do not want your debt for your house exceeding twenty five percent of your income. And when I say housing expenses. We're talking about principal and interest. We're talking about insurance. We're talking about taxes. And I do this conservative thing of even including your utilities. I think this is so interesting, Brian. Do you, can you pull up the illustration again, the chart on, yeah. the, on the screen? I just think it's so interesting. When you look at this, the mortgage or the home equity line, the primary residence, that dark blue at the very bottom of the screen, it actually increases from yeah. less than 35. Look at what happens in the 40s. Mortgage debt actually increases in the 40s. And I would argue that if you are that person who's supposed to be moving in the right direction, you'd kind of like that to see that start coming down. But what ends up happening is this is kind of that time where we do upgrade. We move into that second home. We buy that dream home. And that's okay, but just recognize rather than your mountain going down, your mountain actually starts going up again. So you want to make sure you understand that that's happening. I think you have to definitely pay attention to where you are because you do want... 
that lifestyle creep, because I get it. You start getting, you get kids, so you're like, the kids are home. I want to make sure that we have everybody in a comfortable thing. So you do that upgrade. Just make sure that it's, you do this in a smart way so that when they're out of the house, you're not regretting some of those decisions that you made. Yep. Um, let's kind of, let's, let's talk about this. Um, I thought this was interesting because I've told you, and this is something that, that, that I want to mention because I didn't say it for my 30 year olds because 30 is kind of when mortgages start showing up on the scene. I think for 30 year olds, they should do a 30 year mortgage. Okay. If you're looking at the tool of using mortgages, but plan on paying them off over the 25 to 30 year period. Mm-hmm. There's a difference for my 40 year olds. You, you did not say paying it off in a 10 to 15 year period. No, you said I told 25 you the, to 30 the concern period. I have with debt when you pay it off too early is the sacrifice you have on the compounding interest of your growing assets yourself. For my 40 year olds, your people, all of you guys are in your 40s, you resemble me. You, you, you're starting to understand your mortality. You understand that, man, I'm very happy, but uh, you know, this thing, we got to know our limits. I want you to understand you need to be out of debt by your by your I like people to be out of debt in their mid 50s by at least retirement. So maybe you have a 30 I'd have no problem with people doing 30 year mortgages, but this probably is the stage of your life that you're going to try to pay it off in like a 15 year period. You know, use yep. that flexibility of doing the 30 year loan so you have months that are tight, you don't feel pinched by the cash flow, but maybe you want to pay it off a little sooner. So you said something interesting right there Brian. You said that uh, your goal or kind of what you think about in terms of advising people is that sort of in your mid-50s is when you want to think about being debt-free. Now, we've talked a lot about uh, one financial voice out there, Dave Rams. That's actually a little counter to another financial voice out there that yeah. we're all pretty familiar with, right? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. This CNBC article that we were pulling some of the, the stats from, um, they actually, somebody I'm a big fan of, Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary from the Shark Tank. Um did I put a the, a the there for no reason? It's Shark Tank. It's not the Shark Tank, right? Did I, it, I pulled an old man the. Didn't is I? it? Well, you know, you go to the Kroger and log on to no, the Facebook. No, I think Facebook it's just Shark Tank. And then so, watch the I Shark just, Tank. Like you do the Facebook, the Twitter. You know, when you get old enough, you just start putting random these there. But Shark Tank, you know, and Kevin O'Leary was actually interviewed for this piece, and I was like, man, this is a perfect example of taking somebody who's super successful, who I think a lot of, but you have to pay attention to the data that celebrity gurus give you because they might just be wrong. And I I see this because I've read just an article recently that was totally talking about how many people pick on Susie Orman. So many people pick on Dave Ramsey. And and I'll I'll throw in Kevin O'Leary with this piece, but in the grand scheme of it, they really are doing a lot more good than the things you're nitpicking them on. Absolutely. So even though I'm throwing Kevin on this this nitpick, it's more of just because I want it to be an educational thing. I actually love how Shark Tank pushes entrepreneurial type thought. But here's what Kevin O'Leary said for this piece. I'm just going to read the quote. He said, people should aim to have all of their debt paid off from mortgages to student loans to credit card debt by age 45. The reason I say 45 is the turning point or in your 40s is because think about a career. Most careers start in early 20s and end in the mid 60s. So when you're 45 years old, the game is more than half over and you better be out of debt because, and this is the key part, this is the part I want you to pay attention to, because you're going to use the rest of the innings in that game to accrue capital. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what Kevin said is pay off that debt in your 40s so that you can use the rest of your working career to just building up assets that you that that capital. Right. 
That sounds good. It I mean, did. that is a great sound bite. I understand why CNBC put it in here, but I want to give you some. I want to give you some, a counterpoint. I think Kevin the is money off. guy flavor. The money guy flavor is Kevin's off by ten years. Because listen to these stats. This is the data. I'm saying look behind the curtain. Actually, look at the data. Remember the compound or multiplier effect of money by age. For a 20-year-old, they can make 10%, meaning they can be aggressive, invest in something like the S&P. $1 turns into $88 at retirement mm -hmm. if they're letting it work. A 30-year-old who's making 9% a year, we brought it down a little bit, a little sure. more conservative, still aggressive. $1 has the opportunity to turn into $23. Right. A 40-year-old who's making 8%. $1 has the opportunity of turning into $7. So if we pause there for a second, that's still pretty good. I mean, $1 good. turning it's seven times over. Effect. Absolutely. But it's not a 20-year-old anymore. No, You're not right. 88 times over. You're now at seven. And then a 50-year-old, $1 at 7%, by the way, $1 has potential of turning into $3 by the time you retire. Did you see how drastic that curve yep. drove down? The reason I think Kevin is off by a decade is, is that in order to be completely debt-free by the time you're 45, you have to be paying down a lot of debt in your 20s and your 30s and even the early parts of your 40s to be completely debt-free. Those are years that that capital could have a huge yep. multiplier effect. Yep. Now, when you hear once you cross 50, there's still a multiplier effect, but that $1 has the potential to turn into three. There's a big difference between turning one into three versus one into $88 like a 20-year-old has. I think Kevin's backwards on that. I'd rather you focus on building that capital while you're younger, and then when you cross over that 50 mark, reevaluate where you are on that mortgage debt to try to get rid of it in that decade. Yeah, so as it's <laughs> Mr. Wonderful said that the, the dollars that are most valuable are those ones in the late innings, 45 to 65. We're kind of saying the opposite. The dollars that are the most valuable are those in the early innings. Yeah, that's the multiply. That's the part where you, like I said, I'm hoping that people that do it right, you get it to your my age, where you get to your, your mid to late 40s. You're like, you know, I'm going to keep saving because I just love it. I'm addicted and I have this saving habit. But truthfully, my army of dollar bills has kind of gotten to the point. It's carrying a lot of the weight for me. Yep. I, you know, we talk about net worth statements. One of my favorite games with net worth statement is seeing if, the growth in my net worth exceeds my income mm -hmm. from last year because that means the army of dollar bills is doing a it's working lot just as hard as you are. It is it is crushing it because we all know you have to live off that money you're yep. making too. So if your net worth goes up more than your income, that means that not only did you consume and live all those assets, but they were replenished by your capital working for you. Right. So it's very powerful stuff. Let's move on to credit cards. Uh, we've said this a thousand times. Uh, don't have credit card debt paid off monthly. It holds true in 40s. It was yeah. true in 20s. It's true in 30s. It's still true in the 40s. I'm going to repeat it because I know the human brain takes three or four times before it actually absorbs something. I never, ever want you to have credit card debt. I'm okay with you having credit card use, but debt implies that you're carrying a balance and that credit card has to be paid off monthly. Yep. Let's talk about auto loans. I spent a lot of time for the people who are watching a highlight clip for my people in the 30s on talking about how you afford and finance a car in your 30s mm -hmm. for a basic brand. You know, and that, I still stand by the 23-8 rule, which mm -hmm. means you're gonna put down 20% for the car, you're gonna run an amortization on paying that car off within three years, and then you're not gonna let the debt exceed 8% of your gross income, your Perfect. monthly payments, I should say. And that includes insurance on that car as well. Yep. It's not just the loan, it's also the insurance. So. That's basic. 
But what about premium brands? Because probably a lot of you guys, when you're getting your 40s, you're starting to have some success. You're you're like me. I mean, I don't. I'm not a hypocrite. I mean, I have. I now have a Tesla. Yep. My wife has an Audi. Yep. So you're like, well, Brian, you you have nice cars. Is that what I mean? Does that mean you didn't live the life? You're not doing. You're sacrificing your savings. You're doing something. No. Here's here's where how you can afford and justify premium brands is that you have to treat them 12 months same as cash. I'm going to be a nice guy and tell you, you have 12 months because I know some of you have bonuses or you have RSUs, you have stock options that might be coming due, but the car, the old 10-year-old, 12-year-old car like my my car was, gets to the point where you got to move in a different direction. So it's okay if you treat it 12 months same as cash, but it has to be paid for within that first 12-month period. If you cannot pay the car off within 12 months, I think you're faking success and you probably should go back down to that tier of brands that don't have such a high premium built onto them. That's exactly right. And so uh, for our litmus test, you know, we kind of already mentioned this. If you're in that generation X phase, that age 35 to 49, the average amount of non-mortgage personal debt for an American of this country is $39,000. Let's talk about 50-year-olds. All right. Guys, this is a short section. So the highlight video on this one's going to be really short because guess what? Debt, I'm going to go ahead and pull the chart up again, Bo, just so we can pull it up. Look at that chart. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see your peak earning years. If we look at the narrative of life, when you're a younger person, you know, you have student loan debt. And then as you get into your 30s, you start picking up the mortgage debt and it goes. But then this magical thing happens around 45. You hit your peak and then you start dropping off. I'm telling you guys, by the time you're in your 50s, you really want to start getting things paid off. That's right. And here's something I want to draw attention to because I'm going to use another chart that I think is great. This is the entire population. If you notice, this is this is from Money, um, Money's website. This is average debt per age by entire population. You notice it's dropping off. It's going down over life. Look at what happens to people who just never pay off the debt. Because we already said, you know, starting from about 28% of Americans are debt-free, have no debt at all, right? So this is the... And I got to believe a lot of them are older Americans, meaning Americans probably in their 50s and and, and older. Look at what happens. This is people who have debt only. So all of your good decision makers who are debts falling off in their 50s are no longer part of the stat. Look at the borrowers. They just never get out of debt. I think everybody who's 55 and over, look, the, the, the debt just somehow stays flat. Yep. I do not want you to be resemble this stat. You need to be thinking more in a healthy way of how debt should be decreasing. That's exactly right. Um, so let's kind of talk about this as we're going through it. You know, the big part is we go through mortgages. You should be setting yourself up that hopefully by the time you are what you consider financially independent or at retirement age, you owe no debt. Including the mortgage. Including the mortgage. Because you don't really have a retirement or financial independence unless you have an unencumbered life. Now, we already know we're going to get some emails because we do every time we say this. And folks say, guys, interest rates are so low. There's no way I'm going to pay off my mortgage. I can invest that money, yada, yada, yada. That's fine. Uh, If you don't pay off your mortgage, you need to at least have the ability to pay off the mortgage. So by the time you get to financial independence, you either need to be debt-free or you could write a check to be debt-free. I know who you're you're giving a nod and a wink towards one of our clients because we've had that discussion. And I understand the analytics. I think this goes beyond analytics because you can win the game and you're just trying to take off when you have reached the point of financial success. You're also trying to create 
tools to make sure you don't run this thing in the ditch. Mm -hmm. And leverage and debt is one of those things. Right. We saw it in 2008, we saw it in 2009, real estate really struggled. Um, I, I actually, I mean, I'm one of those people that I plan on being debt free in my early 50s. Sure. I mean, and I look, I know that I'm leaving money on the table, opportunity costs, the analytics show I should never pay off this right. mortgage. I don't care. I want to be debt free. So I, I'm going to go against Michael. Okay. That way I put his I put his name out there. He's going to write us an email. Michael, I tried. I did, I did what I could. I tried. <laughs> Credit cards, it's a binary decision. You've heard us talk about it in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. It didn't change. You should never, ever have credit card debt. You can have credit card use. If you find that you're one of these people that cannot pay your credit card off every month, you just don't need to use them. Yep. I'm only allowing you, giving you permission to use credit cards if you pay them off every month. I'm even going to throw this out there. In your 20s, maybe you use credit cards bad, you can change your behavior. In your 30s, maybe you use credit cards bad, you can change your behavior. In your 40s, your behavior is kind of set. In your 50s, if you haven't got credit cards figured out yet, get rid of them. Yeah. Clearly, you can't, you can't handle it. them. It's not the knife you need to be using. Auto loans. You know, go back and look. If you're watching a highlight video, go back and look at the 30s if you're looking at basic cars for financing, 40s, we talk about premium, but I'm gonna go a step further. I think by the time you're in your 50s, I don't care if you're buying a non-luxury brand or if you are buying a premium slash luxury brand, you just ought to pay cash. Yep. By the time you're in your 50s, pay cash. So it's if perfect. you can't afford to pay cash, you're probably faking success right. or faking your lifestyle a little bit. And then the last little stat, you know, how do our baby boomers, our folks over 50 stack up? The average debt level for baby boomers, those 50 and over, is $36,000. Uh, and we hope it is 36,000 rapidly on its way to zero by the time you get to retirement. No kidding. So I felt like this was a sprint. Look, debt is one of those things that it seems so easy to get here in America, but it really is one of the sharpest tools in your financial life that can cut you and hurt you if you're not careful right. with it. So be very respectful. If you're not scared of it, you're not using it right. Pay attention to debt. And I think you're gonna find that if you will follow these rules that we talked about on the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s, you're gonna come out better for it. And you're gonna build that army of dollar bills and have the success that you'd always dreamed of. And a lot of you guys are probably watching this and going, wow, they just rolled out auto debt, credit card debt, mortgage debt, student loan debt, and they gave me guidance free of charge and all this. What in the world is going on here? We call this the abundance cycle, guys. We love on you. We give you tons of free advice, all for the thought that hopefully you're going to reach so much success that you're going to get to a point you say, man, I'd love to have somebody look over my shoulder, give me a second opinion, as well as this, this whole enterprise. I am the CEO of something that's so valuable. I'm just worried I'm going to screw it up. That's when we want you to reach out to Abound Wealth, yep. the Money Guy team, and we're going to see if we can help you out on just making sure, giving you that financial checkup to look at and go beyond common sense. It, that's how this whole abundance cycle works. And did you hear the part where we said that even our admins have their CPA? I mean, we kind of live and breathe this stuff. I'd argue we have the best team in the entire world. Would I, you agree I with feel, that? I mean, you have to be pretty nerdy to work here. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you understand the personalities that are involved. And then the other thing I didn't mention at the beginning, Go to moneyguy.com. Yep. I want you to go on there. Give us your email address, your zip code, so we know when we might, if we know we have enough Money Guy family in a certain area, 
don't be surprised in the next 18 months if we don't start dropping into right. your neck of the woods to visit some of the Money Guy family. So it's important that you go out there, give us your email address. And then guys, you probably noticed right behind us, we have a ticker that's telling you how many YouTube subscribers we have. So go to youtube.com, subscribe, yep. and then go in and hit the bell. Ding the bell, you know, because you're a winner. And that way you'll also get all the notifications that tell you when Money Guys come out with new content. And then I feel bad because I just had a conversation with a great guy who's been listening for years. He's a podcast guy. I give all his attention to YouTube. We know there's still a lot of you out there listening to the audio, the yep. audio of this. You're working out, you're cutting the grass, you're exercising, you're commuting. Um, I want you, you guys, thank you. We've been doing this since 2006. You're like my oldest child that's been so successful that I just kind of just know you're doing it well. So I want to make sure I tell the podcast family, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Brian Preston. Mr. Bo Hansen joins me. Keep coming in and tune into these live shows that we do every other Tuesday. You got to come check out the live shows so you can hear what's going on behind the scenes. You can hear if Bo's wearing pants under the desk, as well as figure out how you can get a tumbler. Did I cover it all? You nailed it. Guys, we'll talk to you soon. Brian out. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. (laughs) 